one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 513 for the week of Monday, April 22nd, 2013. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Sawyer. We're a little tired this this uh, fine evening, but uh, it's a good tired. Uh, we'll, we'll go into it later. <laughs> Just really, really happy to be here. We're happy to have you with us, and we're happy that you had safe travels, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. It's good to be here, and I'd like to welcome our listeners, both long time and new to the show. I hope you enjoy it. That's with every show, as always. Welcome back. This episode, if you are a regular, is going to be completely different from our regular new, it's not new at this point anymore, but from our regular three-round format, because I think we are going to have to devote our entire show to pretty much one general topic, and that is something that happened down in Wallops Island, Virginia. As you might have heard, after a couple of delays, the Antares made its first launch on April 21st at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The Antares rocket carrying a similar load, but not the actual main payload of their Cygnus, launched successfully after a couple of delays, and everything went completely well, it seemed. And our own Gene McCulka was there. So how about we start it off with you giving us a recap? Because I know you were down there way before the original launch attempt of Wednesday, right? Yeah, we were there uh, Tuesday, uh, uh, pretty much all of Tuesday. Uh, we were getting some some very interesting briefings, and we actually toured... Uh, what's called the uh, Horizontal Integration Facility, or HIF for short. Uh, this is where the, uh, uh, the vehicle is actually integrated uh, together. Uh, we went ahead and uh, got a nice little tour of that, uh, that particular building. Uh, the reason why, again, they're, they're taking the, the same page right out of, I guess, the, the way the Russians have been doing their vehicle integration for years and the way SpaceX does their vehicle integration. Basically, they'll go ahead and they'll put the vehicle you know, together on the ground horizontally. And then you know, once it, uh, it, it's all set, they'll go ahead, pull it out of the building and sort of you know, get it vertical and then, then bring it out to the pad. Um, reason why they do it that way, quite frankly, it's it's easier to, for for folks to handle uh, as far as uh, uh, you know, having to go ahead and put the vehicle together and so on and so forth. Also, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to do it that way. Um, and, and I think the Russians have been again the Russians have been doing doing their vehicle integration there for years. Uh, the uh, the actual vehicle is about maybe uh, what is it 131 feet uh, long, uh, or about I think it's about 40 meter- meters in length. Strike that. It's I think that's the first stage. Uh, this the uh, the first stage is actually uh, of the Antares is actually built by a by a, uh, a Ukrainian consortium there, and sent over here here to the U.S. Uh, also the uh, the main engines on. Um, on Antares are the AJ-26 engines, which have some very interesting heritage to them. Believe it or not, those engines were designed uh, for, I believe, the uh, the N-1, if you can b- believe that. Uh, so these engines are Russian in origin, but uh, a company called Aerojet uh, goes ahead and imports these engines and then does what any shade tree mechanic kind of does. It goes ahead and hops them up and... and uh, uh, gets them ready for a specific uh, specific purpose. Uh, for instance, um, these these particular engines can be gimbaled, whereas the uh, 
the the original Russian design can't. Uh, that that's just one of the you know the added uh, attractions to this thing. Also, a company called ATK is responsible for the second stage. The second stage is a is a Castor 30B solid rocket motor. Uh, it is uh, uh, again a, a, a nice little brute of a machine, and it did work rather rather nicely uh, yesterday. Uh, Antares did carry uh, another payload. It carried three CubeSats, which uh, deployed uh, quite nicely. Uh, uh, the, I don't know if uh, folks are getting data from that. I'll have to go ahead and follow up. Follow up, but uh, so far the the three cubesats are are operating as well. And Sawyer, as you did point out, it carried a simulant instead of uh, the actual um, uh, Cygnus vehicle. And this was just basically to to go ahead and and make sure that the Antares did actually you know prove to to do what it can do. Uh, but uh, it delivered that particular uh, cargo just fine. Uh, the vehicle is is right now in orbit and is uh, scheduled to stay there for about maybe about a week or two before it re-enters. Uh, but uh, and all that that particular uh, simulant carried with it was just telemetry to to measure what was going on with with the Antares itself. Um, all in all, uh, it was a magnificent launch Sunday. Uh, uh, Sawyer, we do have some audio from that. I did collect collect that, so why don't we go ahead and share that with the uh, with the folks now? Sure thing. Yes, yeah, so that's that's what it sounded like from my vantage point. We were about maybe two point seven miles away from the actual launch pad, and uh, it was just. I mean, you, again, it was that, that typical bright, you know, bright illumination just as as the rocket you know lifts off, and uh, you still had that little bit of a pounding in your chest. It might have been just the way the wind was blowing, and so on. It wasn't as severe as I, I remember. Um, having experienced a few shuttle launches, or even Mark, when you and I uh, went to see uh, uh, the uh, Mars Science Laboratory launch uh, back in November of 2011, it it was not the same kind of feeling. But you did feel some kind of you know pounding in your chest, as it were, uh, from that distance. And uh, the key word in the entire ascent that that Sunday afternoon was nominal. Which is a wonderful word in spaceflight. You always want to hear that word because that means everything's looking good, everything was, was go, and that word just kept on re- being repeated and repeated over and over again as as an, as the Antares went ahead and completed each one of its ascent milestones. Um, so there was a lot of grins uh, at the uh, at the launch site for sure. This is something that I thought was interesting because I watched the replay of it. And uh, uh, after listening back to the sound, I mean, when you compare it to some of the other launches, the other ones are more of a roar and a rumble. And this one, it kind of sounded more of like a hum and a hiss and a little bit of a whine. But I don't know, because uh, going back to what you were saying that, um, you know, how it didn't sound like a shuttle launch or the MSL launch that you saw. I, I mean, part of it is the fact that the engines are completely different. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, with both of those, I believe... MSL, I believe, launched on an Atlas V. I, 
if I'm correct, both those have solid motors as well. Well, yeah, Antares does have a, a solid uh, solid rocket motor, but that does not engage at at uh, T zero. Uh, the the SRM is in uh, the second stage. Exactly. Uh, so, um, uh, the, the how as far as the the actual you know launch itself and how it sounded and so on, I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, and and to be blunt, um, we were told that it was just going to have this slow, stately, majestic. Uh, rise off the pad, and then, um, as uh, I believe uh, Frank Colbertson described, then after a while it was going to go ahead and and kick in like a, a you know a scalded ape, but um, uh, it, uh, uh, it it had just that. It was a very slow, you know, majestic rise, and then it just you know it hit the afterburners and went out of town. So. Uh, uh, as as far as the, the launch was concerned, yeah, it was a little bit different than, than what I was used to. Um, Carl Crothers and I, uh, who's been a guest on this program, uh, kind of talked about that a little bit too, and he said it was a little reminiscent. He felt it was a little reminiscent of the uh, the Falcon Nine out in in some respect. Um, you have to remember though, Falcon Nine has got as it gets its name from the nine engines that that the nine Merlin engines it has on board, whereas uh, uh, Antares has. Uh, uh, two, you know, two uh, of the uh, uh, the aerogen engines. So um, it was worth the wait. As uh, Sawyer, you know, we've we had a we had a couple of delays. Uh, both were kind of sort of weather related. On day one, it wasn't so much. We had one little technical gremlin kind of sort of bite us, and it was just a real, real minor thing. Um, an umbilical did not have enough uh, slack on it to to you know stay on. Apparently, the the gantries kind of sort of got got jostled a little bit, and uh, this this little Ethernet cable that sends data from the vehicle to uh, to the launch pad just kind of got unplugged somehow, and uh, we don't know exactly why that happened even to this point, but uh, it did, and uh, that kind of caused. Uh, caused the uh, uh, a little bit more of a uh, problem on the first launch attempt. Um, we were at that point we were already red for uh, for wind and, and um, to just go ahead and reiterate something uh, that folks may or may not have heard uh, it wasn't so much the wind that the vehicle could not take the wind that was that was uh, that was blowing. It could have chucked, you know, trucked through the wind, the, even the upper level winds as 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 uh, heavy as they were. Uh, the reason was for the delay for the wind both days was the fact that if in the event, you know, in the unlikely event, really, that we had a quote bad day, close quote. And the range safety officer had to go ahead and and hit a button and essentially dispatch the vehicle and in mid-flight. Um, the prevailing winds would have carried the resultant you know debris field and and uh, fumes and so on right over Assateague Island, and uh, we don't want that. That's a you know that that is a wildlife refuge and and um, NASA being a a good steward of the. Uh, of the community and a uh, good steward of the environment. Uh, Mark, as you well know, as we've, we've talked about that several times here, the way NASA has been treating wildlife over at KSC. Um, they said no. And I believe too, that was an FAA reg as well, because that is also, it's over also over a populated area. So uh, that's why we were kind of, uh, we were kind of pushed off those first two days. Um, but uh I kept on saying to folks, I had a funny feeling about Sunday. I thought we were, I thought Sunday was going to be the day, and uh, lo and behold, uh, that's exactly what happened. And I was saying that uh, on uh, on Scrub Day Wednesday because we knew Friday was pretty much out of the question. There was some really really bad weather rolling into the area. Um, Sorry, I'm I'm going to just go ahead and commend uh, the folks over over at Orbital. Uh, the way I can I can put them uh, the way. I I can describe uh, just just the general attitude everybody over there had uh, in the uh, uh, at least in the media center was was sort of a, a quiet competence about them. They weren't making promises that they couldn't keep or anything like that. They were they were keeping us up to date uh, about what was going on, when they knew it, 
and we're, we're, we're really, really straightforward. And um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, Barry Bineski, who is one of the uh, orbital spokesmen uh, that helped us out from, the, the, uh, from a media standpoint, um, I'm going to go ahead, Sawyer. We have a we have a clip that I I kind of captured from uh, from the, the launch attempt number one, and we didn't we really didn't know uh, what was going what was really going on. Um, all we heard was scrub. Uh, about two minutes, not even two minutes uh, after they they announced the scrub, uh, Barry Bineski, who's who's again one of the orbital uh, spokespeople that were with us in the media. Uh, called us over over this this little tent area that they had, and uh, said, "You know, come over here, talk. You know, we got to talk." And gave us a full update. And then, um, sorry, if you can run that clip for me, please, I'd appreciate it. So we scrubbed today. We don't know yet if we are going to have another launch attempt tomorrow. The team is gathering data. It only happened a couple of minutes ago. We got to give them some time. Uh, so we do ask that you continue to follow along on the media outlets we've, we've been using uh, to communicate. So it's, it's still pretty early. The reason for the scrub is an umbilical cord which attaches the launch complex systems with the rocket systems on the upper stage apparently uh, disconnected from the rocket. Now we were experiencing some you know, pretty good winds earlier. Don't know if that's the cause or not. You know, but, you know, we, we can, you know, take a look at that. So the team is gathering data. We'll figure out what the turnaround time is. Uh, I don't know when we will decide if it's tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. We just don't know yet. Well, Barry, what does this mean? I know it's only been a couple minutes since, yeah. since the scrubbing. What does this mean right now? Well, a little bit of disappointment. You know, we were looking forward to launching. We weren't working any issues on the rocket. We weren't working any issues on the pad. Everything was looking good for launch. Um, then we had the issue with the umbilical. Um, so if you want to take a positive audit, out of it, uh, the first time through on the rocket, not working any technical issues, that's a good thing. Um, disappointed we can't go today, but things like this are not unexpected the first time through with a new launch pad, a new rocket. So we'll, 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 we'll soldier forward. We'll, we'll do another launch attempt. What was with the time frame, though? It was supposed to be a th- three-hour time frame between uh, launch. Mm-hmm. It went down to 15 minutes and went down to 10. What is that supposed to mean? Okay, that's, that's part of our normal countdown process. Uh, earlier today, when we had call to stations for the crew to show up at work and put the headsets on and get ready for launch, um, that narrows the window down to two hours, part of our countdown process. When you get to uh, an hour and 30, 90 minutes before T-minus zero time, your launch time, is when you start flowing your liquid propellants. That narrows the window down to 15 minutes. Um, the narrowing from 15 to 10 was, was a call by the launch team. I don't, I don't know the details there. Yes, sir. What the couple? It was called an umbilical cord, which is a uh, connector cable that connects the, ro- the rocket pad, or I'm sorry, the launch pad systems to the upper stage of the rocket. And um, it came, it came loose. Was that the lock connector, or was it just a? What, what I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But up until that point, everything was uh, all, you know, basically all green, going. You know? Yeah, you know, the rocket looked looked great. We weren't working any technical issues. The launch pad, again, first time through for the launch pad as well, not working any technical issues. So, um, you know. Sounds like the tanking test went well, at least. It did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> had a good, had a wet dress rehearsal. So. Um, so anyway, we'll uh, we'll update you as soon as we know something okay. um, on on recycle time. You know, another the, the next uh, launch attempt. Was okay. the fuel Sorry. venting that we saw planned? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's that's that that's the locks the... evaporating. Yeah. Okay, that that wasn't a result of the disconnect. No, no. Um, I'm sorry, Jordi, I answered this, but uh, do you know what that umbilical on the second stage did? If it's I, a solid, do you I do know not. What? I do not. Okay. If, when we find out, um, we're we're trying to gather some information. And when we find out, you know, give you a little description about the umbilical and what it does. So we, we don't know yet. I don't know yet. Do you know how it was detected? Was it by telemetry or did they, someone see it on camera actually fall off? I don't know. Okay. Any history of this kind of disconnection? Uh, this is the first this first chance we had to, to, to launch the rocket. No, but no, not, I mean not during not, the wet trust Not to be, no, yeah, I don't mean to be glib. Um, no. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, I don't know if this is a common occurrence for, for you know, other rockets or anything like that. But, uh, no, we haven't had anything like this. It's, it's unexpected. Yeah. Do you know? I'm sorry? Did it, a data umbilical cord? Uh, uh, I don't know. We're going to find out uh, what that umbilical cord does, and, and we'll get it out to you. Do you know um, just standard how long it takes to defuel? I. Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, I believe it takes about 90 minutes. 90 minutes? Yes. Okay. You know, we were all looking forward to this today, everybody uh, from... Uh, <laughs> you bet. Yeah. Uh, how does it feel now? Does it well, sound like a balloon? Right now, well, no, no, no. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do another launch attempt. We don't know exactly when yet. Yeah, clearly, sort of disappointing. We couldn't, you know, we got this close. Everything was looking good on the rocket. Um, uh, a little disappointing, sure, but uh, there's no quitting us. Yeah, again, that was sort of in- indicative of what was really, really happening and what Orbital was was doing. Their their philosophy seemed to be that um, a lot of people came a long way. To, uh, to make sure that information got out to the world as far as what was going on here. And gosh darn it, we were going to make sure that uh, we gave it to them. Uh, just a, an additional comment. At we Pretty much um, not too long after that, we boarded the, the buses back to uh, the media center, uh, uh, which really was the Wallops Island uh, uh, Flight Research Facilities uh, uh, Visitor Center. Uh, and um, Frank Colbertson who is uh, essentially calling the shots on this particular project for Orbital, uh, also a former astronaut, uh, came in to talk to us. And he did not have to do that. He, he, he dealt with the, whatever he needed to deal with at, at the Launch Control Center and uh, came over to talk to us in the media uh, about maybe an hour after, after you know, the, the, the dust was settled. He came in, he pulled out a little bit of a, we all got a, you know, circled around him, we got, some, we got some chairs together, it was sort of like a theater in the round type thing. He sat down and um, Alan, I believe uh, Alan Lindemore was with him uh, from NASA, who is the, uh, the COTS uh, program manager, and uh, he basically sat down, pulled out a little pad and said, all right, let me tell you what I do know. And uh, that's when we learned about uh, the actual status of the cable that got disconnected. It was, uh, you know, again, it was an Ethernet cable. Um, and he, he essentially told us that he didn't really know why it got jarred loose, but it, it did. And um, we, we don't really know how, you know, we knew it was the, the, the actual gantry that somehow or other got jarred loose, but we didn't know exactly why, whether it was the wind or something else. Um, but he was very, very straightforward um, and was, was really, really giving us uh, all the information we really needed and was more than happy to answer any questions that we had. So from a media standpoint, um, I, as as much as I I don't like to speak ill of of of, of uh, the competitors there, um, Orbital really did a superb job in in just getting information to us, and uh, uh, again I I have to salute them in that effort because because uh, dealing as a lot of people were dealing saying that. Uh, Dealing with with the commercial end of things, um, it has just been a nightmare trying to get get data out and infra- hard information out to uh, to the public. And uh, uh, these guys proved that you can do that. What I thought was interesting about the bite that you played with, you know, the quick interview afterwards. First, it's amazing that they were actually willing to do that. But second, you know, a he, they seemed really willing to share all the information that they had, and b. I noticed that he was even joking with one of the guys. I know he afterwards was trying to say, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, rude about it, but it was, I thought it was funny that even so, he was, you know, cracking jokes. It's like, we, you know, we don't know that yet. And I thought it was just, you know, <laughs> for on the fly, really well handled. Yeah, I mean, they did, they, uh, and, and even Culbertson, uh, when he talked to, to us, he, he tried to put a little bit of a, a humorous end of it. He actually pulled out one of the Pixar movies, I forget the name of it now, um, where you had a bunch of birds on the line and another bird would jump on it and the line would just keep sagging down and sagging down and sagging down until finally it just snapped. That's what Culbertson was saying. Yeah, maybe this happened. 
<laughs> you know, so um, it was, you know, even he was 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 trying to, to inject some humor in it. And the, the first thing I thought about, you know, having, you know, rabbits was, you know, is because I've had my Ethernet cable chewed by one of these things and all of a sudden gone offline. Um, you know, my 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 pet rabbits have, have done that on, on occasion. And they'd look up at me and goes, "Oh, was that important?" Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and I immediately thought about that. You know, maybe maybe it was a rabbit that chewed the cord. I don't know. But um, uh, you know, I, again, they were they were extraordinarily upfront. They were extraordinarily you know willing to go ahead. They were taking a big chance, by the way, for being upfront. Okay, because you know they sometimes, you know, things don't go right. And I think they were really, even if we did have a bad day, I think they were willing to go ahead and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and take that bad day and say, well, we, we were, we were willing to, 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 you know, stick our neck out and, and we'll go back to the drawing board and do it again. Uh, but they didn't, they, they didn't have to go ahead and do that. Um, they had a wonderful day on, on Sunday and, and I'm glad they did because uh, th- this crew deserves it. I mean, the entire Antares team, um, Aerojet, ATK, uh, anybody that was involved in this project, bravo, very well done. Yeah, from the things that you were telling me even a little bit before we were recording the show, it, it sounds like they did an amazing job handling the media contacts and treating them well. And even when they had to, you know, follow certain restrictions such as ITAR, you know, not being complete and total jerks about it. Well, yeah, I mean, we were, especially in the HIF, I mean, we, we asked about that flat out um, even before we even started snapping pictures uh, because we, we, were, we were sensitive. We knew about the ITAR restrictions and so on. We were told, you know, just don't focus in on equipment or anything like that or, or don't, you know, don't take a full-up, you know, interior shot of any nozzles or anything, you know. Don't zoom in on things. And as long as we, we took the, the, you know, as long as we were, we were you know, good about it, we could... We could take uh, take photographs. I mean, they actually let us on, and and no joke, they they let us on a, I guess a little bit of a, a I'm going to call it a scissor lift of some sort that lifted that could lift you up about maybe fifteen twenty feet off the ground, I guess, and um, we were able to to go ahead and take photographs from that vantage point if we so desired. A few of us hardy souls, including myself, jumped on that thing, and I took a couple of uh, panoramic shots. Uh, one of the better ones I hope we're, we're going to share. And um, uh, they were extraordinarily accommodating to us. And, and again, we kind of knew the score with, with ITAR and so on, and, and we were willing to, to be accommodating for them, and they were willing to accommodate us. So, um, you know, there was no, you know, stand behind the yellow line or else or anything. You know, the, the floor will open up and you'll be eaten by crocodiles. Um, it, it was, you know, we, we were, they were treating us like adults, although one individual, you know, the other thing too, however, is that we were told to, to turn our phones off. Um, and I kind of wondered about that for a minute, but I said, okay. And it was kind of funny. The phone was ringing as I turned it off and I'm like, okay, well too bad. And, um, I'll deal with you later, whoever you are. And, um, uh, we found out the reason why. Uh, there was live ordinance in the building, and that is basically, I guess, the explosive bolts that they that they use on the vehicle. Um, and uh, uh, so, so it was a, it was a good precaution. But again, they, they treated us like adults, and and um, uh, we we in turn gave them the same uh, the same leeway. We we followed any type of restrictions. For the most part, there were a couple little you know blips here and there, but for the most part. Uh, most of us followed um, what what they were what what uh, they were asking us to do in there, and uh, uh, as a result, uh, we got we got a lot of information and, and and a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and by the way, if you want to see one of the pictures from up on that scissor lift, go to our website and check in the show notes for this episode, and you'll see it. And that's talkingspaceonline.com. Yeah, sorry. One of the other things too, I want to add. Uh, it was my first time um, on the Eastern Shore, and it was my first time in this particular area. Um, Wallops Island's been there for a while. I mean, it was it was uh, put there by the old uh, NACA, and uh, before before it was absorbed by by NASA, and um, it, just the attitude 
of the folks, not only at Wallops, they were just absolutely pleased for the media to be there. We kind of descended on them like locusts. <laughs> and uh, I mean, this was probably the biggest media throng that they had, they had ever seen. And um, uh, they had everything prepared for us. They prepared the, the new auditorium that, that you folks, if you were following the mission at all, you, you kind of saw um, at uh, Wallops Island. I will say that the, that the dais over there, I was told by uh, one of the folks that uh, uh, worked there, a nice uh, young lady by, by the name of uh, Jessica, um, she uh, told me that um, that particular dais, they were just finishing the final touches of, on it the previous Friday. So, uh, and they're, they're just kind of sort of getting accustomed again to the new audio equipment they have in there and, and so on and so forth. But uh, all in all, they, I have to applaud them. They, they made sure that we had, you know, electrical, all the outlets, uh, they gave us enough room to work. It was a it was a sufficient area to to do what we needed to do. Um, I I really do applaud them. This was one of the biggest things that ever ever happened at Wallops. I mean, this was and Terry's was the um, the largest vehicle that was ever launched from Wallops. So, uh, and a lot of other other folks uh, had to uh, uh, be uh, be involved in this. Um, for instance, there's a, a organization over there that doesn't, I think, uh, doesn't get a lot of, a lot of credit, and um, that's the uh, Mid Atlantic Regional Spaceport uh, folks. They also uh, work extraordinarily hard. Uh, these were the folks that were responsible for getting the pad together um, and and all that, and uh, they've also got a right to be proud. The community over there was just amazing. They were so into the event. Uh, I, I made the, the the big mistake, if you will, of wearing my media credentials to breakfast one morning, and um, uh, I think it was I think it was uh, during the the first launch attempt, and uh, I just I had people descending on me, and uh, I was I was more than willing to go ahead and talk to them and 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 so on uh, about what was going on, and I always made sure I had some. Uh, some uh, I appropriated some uh, NASA swag, and if if there was a small child asking questions, I always made sure that they got a little something. And um, uh, but but again, the community was just so involved. It wasn't just 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 the tourists that were staying at the hotel. It was everybody um, I talked to. You know, whether I was going off to get fuel for the car or or or, or lunch or so on, they were all asking questions. They were all into it. Uh, and and this was a huge event for this for the community. They, I mean, I can't I can't say anything anything more than than that. Um, I will say too also that uh, I guess it was my first night over there. I, I I went ahead and I went into a restaurant. It was just me, you know, me, my iPad, and myself. Uh, um, and uh, was just going through some some of the notes I took that day and. And uh, I was trying to get my head together for for uh, what I was going to do and how I was going to approach the, uh, the the launch on uh, on Wednesday, which eventually got scrubbed. And you, you, I know, folk. I know. I try not to eavesdrop on conversations that are going on around you, especially if it's just you sitting at the at, at the restaurant. But you know, you 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 do pick up things. Your ear pick up picks up things, and a lot of folks. We're all talking about the launch, where they're going to be, where they're going to going to going to watch the launch from. There was one couple I know I heard talking about the why they had to do this as far as the uh, the shuttle program was concerned, and and they were uh, talking about you know they were actually debating the the logic in getting rid of shuttle. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, am I in the right? Place. I mean, the, the, some of the conversations going on. I mean, the, the the NFL schedule just got released, and you would think everybody was talking about that. But that's what they, that's what it was coming to. I mean, it, it was just it was just refreshing to hear all of this. Um, I walked out and uh, you know out to the car, and there was a group of high school students, kind of you know high school age kids, uh, walking around, and and instead of kind of you know walking around just you know aimlessly, they kind of stopped by one of the uh, one of the areas uh just outside the restaurant and we're we're pointing up and and the skies in this particular area by the way are so brilliant so clear and they were stopping to point out constellations and so on and 
um, just another group group of folks saying good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow, and yeah, yeah, you're you're going to be at the beach. Yeah, we're going to be over here. And I, they were just, I mean, there was just so much enthusiasm for this. And um, I think also part of it too is that NASA is trying to be also a good steward of the community. They they don't want to come in and change the complexion of the community, but they want to go ahead and try to help it out. Um, changing the complexion of the community, I think NASA and, and, and Orbital and everybody else involved in this, um, they feel is up to the community themselves to do that. They don't want to go ahead and force change on anybody, but they're also trying to, to help the community grow and so on. And I think that's part of also the, the reason why people are into it, um, or at least in, down in this area. Uh, they were. I, I, it's just something I've never seen before. Not even at. Uh, not even at KSC, I, have I have I seen this much enthusiasm? Uh, it's. I, I know. I'm sure it's there, but um, you just don't. I, I just haven't haven't experienced that myself. Well, keep this in mind, though. I mean, down at the Kennedy Space Center, they they see launches all the time, and they have for years. Up here, I mean, they do occasional subsonic launches, nothing really fancy. So the fact that they have a big, you know, spacecraft that is owned by a private company, it's a NASA launch that's going into orbit and eventually to the space station on the northern part of the East Coast... That's a big deal. I mean, even up by me in New York, there were people going crazy over it because there was a chance they might see it. And we never see launches up this far north. So I, I think that's part of the reason. Yeah, I mean, I mean this, this area or, 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 or that particular area, theoretically, if everything goes the way it should, could become sort of the KSC of the mid-Atlantic states. Uh, the, I know Orbital is busy trying to go ahead and market uh, – Antares to the military. They're trying to market Antares to uh, to uh, you know folks that uh, need to carry communication satellites up or uh, you know any type of other satellite uh, going. So um, uh, there are possibilities that Antares is going to have a life well after um, the cargo missions are over. Uh, so you know that that's basically the mission there. They want to make sure that you know this medium launch vehicle can go ahead and continue to uh, do other things other than than supply the ISS. So there are there are there are business opportunities there that Orbital is going to pursue just as much as SpaceX is doing right now with Falcon Nine. So yeah, I mean this is I, I and I hate this term game changer, but yeah, it is. It, this is a total game changer for that particular area, and it's a source of pride. Uh, so uh, again, the the community is is now going to be playing a part. This little sleepy community that, in my opinion, is kind of sort of stuck in time somewhere. Um, it, it's it, it is just you know now going to be at the forefront of of of, of resupplying. Essentially, what is you know jokingly referred to as the eleventh NASA Center, the International Space Station, um, uh, Cygnus itself too is may have a life as well outside ISS. There is some. There's nothing official yet, but I know they're kind of sort of playing with some some thought experiments for uh, for Cygnus in the future, and uh, it'll be very very interesting to see what develops from that. Um, so uh, if, if, again, Cygnus kind of sort of catches on and, and gets another life outside ISS, who knows uh, what, what the future is going to bring for that area. And, again, I'm sure it brought another thing to the area, you know, economic uh, benefits as well. There are new jobs that are going to be opened up uh, as a result of all this. Tourism is going to open up. There are going to be people driving down from all over to see these launches. There's going to be you know us media types descending upon a place, you know, staying in their hotels, eating in their in restaurants, and so on, and you know, spending a couple of shekels in souvenir shops and and what have you. So again, it, it could be uh, an economic boon that way as well. Um, the a local paper, uh, I believe it was the Beacon, kind of sort of you know floated that idea as well, and and it wasn't just just an idea. I think it's it's going to be an economic uh, economic boon for that community. So yeah, they've got well you know they're well well reasoned to be excited about it. Yeah, I mean that's big, and this is big, you know, for the Mid Atlantic in general, like you were saying. So I think 
I think that just as there's Vandenberg and just as there's KSC, I think now uh, you've got Wallops and Mars and that in general on the radar now for launches. And I'm hoping at least that it stays that way. I, I I have a feeling it will. I mean, you've you've got uh, at least you know at least within uh, Orbital's got a got a contract to deliver, uh, uh, car you know x amount of amount of cargo to the ISS. Right, they've got and nine flights still uh, still on contract. That's right. So, um, in fact, I saw a faulty report from uh, from Bloomberg saying that now with the competition, there's a possibility that SpaceX could be taking stuff away from Orbital. Um, I think the the you know, I, I don't want to sound like an orbital fanboy, but I don't think you know SpaceX is going to be taking you know away any contracts from Orbital as a result of all this. Um, so I think the Bloomberg report was wrong, and I think somebody needs to go ahead and and do their homework again because both of them have, uh, um, according to the Space Act agreements, have certain amount of cargo that they have to deliver to the ISS. So nobody's going to be taking you know opportunities away. From 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 the other, at least not yet. Um, if things surface, you know who does a better job. We'll see. Um, one of the, I will say also that um, one of the things about that makes Cygnus unique from from Dragon is that okay, Dragon is is designed to to uh, to return cargo uh, back home, but it's also designed primarily as a uh, piloted vehicle. And that is its, you know, real real heritage, and uh, we'll see that uh, happen in the not too distant future with SpaceX. Um, Cygnus, on the other hand, is a pure cargo vehicle. So, as a result, too, you're going to be able to do some interesting things with it as well, and there's some interesting experiments as well. Since the the Cygnus vehicle itself is kind of sort of after it's done its job on the ISS, it's it's kind of sort of expendable because it's it's carrying you know the you know garbage from from the ISS and essentially will be burned up um, but so I'm sure you could probably do some very interesting experiments with that and one of the things I, I, I we, we were talking about um, at the media center I think uh, uh, one of the orbital representatives we're talking about is a is a fire experiment that they're actually going to try on their fifth flight um, it, it's just to find out how fire sort of behaves in microgravity conditions. Now we've done that on a very small scale on several shuttle flights. We've done it, you know, on ISS, but never on the scale that they're going to do it on uh, on on board Cygnus. And since you know it's it's an expendable vehicle, um, you know, if something really goes wrong, who cares? Because it's just going to burn up in the atmosphere anyway. Um, so the, this is an experiment, you know, this is again, another opportunity to do something. So Cygnus, you know, even though it, it does not have down mass capability, it still is a, is a versatile vehicle for experimentation. Exactly. And like you were mentioning, the big thing is going to be where it's used in the future. Like you said, the Cygnus is expendable. And we talked about this actually on the last episode while you were in here, uh, a little bit about that, but. You know, it's going to be that, and then maybe it'll be modified for military and for private launches and for other commercial companies who want to launch their satellites on board. You know, I I could see this being similar to, you know, somewhere like uh, French Guiana or one of those sites where it's kind of out of the way. It doesn't launch very often, but when it does, it launches some decent satellites. Yeah, the the other thing for, for, for the Cygnus vehicle... Um is that uh, there's some plan maybe uh, to have a pressurized version of it uh, where, you know, you've got, uh, you know, life support on board and it theoretically could be attached to the Orion spacecraft and used as a habitation module for, say, a trip out to an asteroid or something like that. So this way you don't have the crew sort of, you know, crammed in the... um, crammed in the uh, the Orion all the time you you can have this you know you can have this little habitation module to go ahead and and do that with so there's a possibility that, that that you know you can you can leverage Cygnus to do that or another possibility too is uh, you might want to go ahead and use it to uh, to go out to uh, L2 and have uh, folks you know have have Cygnus essentially be the base block if you will for a small you know, uh, L2 
uh, space station. So these are these are things these are thought experiments, mind you, that 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 orbital is playing with as far as the future of uh, of the Cygnus vehicle is concerned. But sorry, you bring up a good point as far as the Antares launch vehicle is concerned. Um, you know, this could theoretically be the the Koru of the uh, of of America here, and um, uh, I, I think too uh, this is I think uh, I. I I guess really what I'm trying to say is a new lane on the highway to space has opened up uh, Sunday, and uh, it should be interesting where that road is going to take us. Exactly, and I know what a lot of people are probably thinking right now, and going back to something we were talking about even a little bit earlier, a couple of minutes ago, is you were mentioning like Bloomberg's initial report of how this is, you know, SpaceX is going to steal from them, but I don't think it's so much that. I think now this brings on the interesting idea of can you actually compare the two COTS members being Orbital and SpaceX? I mean, personally, I think it depends on how you want to compare them. If we're comparing them from a PR standpoint, public relations, the yes. If we're comparing them from the rockets, we could probably do a technical comparison. But if we're comparing them for what they're going to be doing and how they're going to succeed and who's going to get the ISS, I don't think you can. No, it's. It, 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 I'll agree with you in that one, Sawyer. It's sort of like comparing apples and oranges in that respect, because Dragon is designed to do a different mission than 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 uh, Cygnus is. Uh, I mean, Dragon is a. <laughs> you know, the, the, it's a cargo vehicle right now, but it's it's really really designed to be a piloted vehicle. And uh, where, whereas Cygnus is not, so in in some instances, you, you again, you, I think you're comparing apples and oranges. In some respects, though, from a from a public relations standpoint, um, whereas I think SpaceX is loud and proud and is you know is giving out all kinds of tchotchkes and so on and so forth at the at meet at, at the KSC Media Center and is really really a, you know really the center of attention. I mean, shoot! You've got—they're uh, even merchandising the the Falcon Nine itself. There's a flying model rocket version of it running around somewhere. Um, uh, it's just they are—they have a—they're really, really trying to get their name out there and 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 in the public psyche. Whereas Orbital, as I said, is is sort of the quiet company, although not so much quiet anymore. Everybody knows their name now. Um, they have a tendency to be low key, but as a result of that, they try as again the, the, as somebody kind of characterized this at the at the media center. We were just talking informally. Um, they're not trying to make promises that they can't keep, and uh, they are, are just going about it nose to the grindstone. And I, I think um, Frank Culbertson put it uh, the right way. Uh, during the post-launch press conference, this is all about people, and uh, it's all about getting the right, the, the uh, smart people together uh, that are willing to take risks, that are not afraid to fail, and uh, uh, giving them a task and uh, a very difficult task to do, and uh, just being motivated to overcome it. And SpaceX also, they've got the same type of motivation there, but they just play it a different way. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, again, you're, 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 it's like comparing Apple to Microsoft. I mean, I'll, I'll be blunt. SpaceX sometimes has, has that reality distortion field going, um, which in some respects I think hurts them and not helps, helps them. Um, I think they've got a lot of bravado, um, in some instances, it has helped. It has helped them, you know, be the be the popular kid on the block, and that's fine. Um, but you know, bravado and all that. Just in my opinion, and this is just me saying this, um, I don't think it belongs in spaceflight. Um, spaceflight can be humbling, <laughs> as we learned on. Uh, on uh, on Wednesday, with just a, a little bit of an Ethernet cord popping out, um, but spaceflight can be a very humbling experience. Uh, we've learned firsthand in this country uh, three times how humbling that is, and I'm you know just hoping that that we don't learn a fourth time. Um, 
a case in point, and and I'm going to bring this up one more time about with with, with SpaceX's issue. If you recall on CRS two, we had that little valve burp that took out um, three of the four thrusters, and the only information we were getting for the longest time for about two or three hours was from the boss's Twitter account. Um, that's not good. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you've got to be a little bit more proactive. You've got to be a little bit more saying, yeah, this is what we're doing. This is what we know about the problem. We think it's this. Let me tell you what we know and instead of saying what we don't know and, and go forward. Um, SpaceX could have did that, and they didn't. Uh, I think they still have a, have a lot to learn from a public relations standpoint. We didn't have a lot of hard data. We kept guessing. I mean, people were, 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 were postulating that this could be a loss of mission, loss of cargo condition. Um, you know, and, and we, we were, you know, us media types, we were kind of thinking, oh, what is, what is going on? Is this, this, is this really, you know, a no-win scenario here or, or what, what, what's happening? We didn't know for the longest time until finally, you know, I, I think we got the full uh, story at about at, at the three o'clock press conference conference that they held on on the on, on the phone line um, with Orbital. Again, we knew within a few minutes what they knew, and um, about maybe an hour later, we got even further insight from from the boss himself. So uh, that to me says that. Uh, they kind of understand that, uh, you know, being transparent is a good thing. And uh, I think that is going to win over a lot more people than hats and, and fancy USB uh, uh, swag. I guess that's, that's, that's really the best way I can put it. I mean, I have to admit that I have not actually met any of the public relations people that you did with Orbital, so I personally can't compare. I can only go off the stories that you told me. But um, when I was down at the Kennedy Space Center for COTS 2+, Plus, uh, I was down there for the scrub. I wasn't there for the actual launch. But for the scrub, I mean, they handled it decently well. They told us what they knew at the press conference, not two minutes after like you did. But I have to say, wandering around, I mean, um, Gwyn Shotwell who's one of the higher-ups of SpaceX who ended up being their spokesperson pretty much that day, she was... Mm-hmm. Co- she. I saw her wandering around the the uh, the press office a couple of times. We spoke with her, just, you know, basic chatting, on top of, you know, being willing to talk to us in the press conference about everything she knew, as well as then afterwards again if we had more. So she was very open, and she was great, but to be perfectly honest, the public relations person that they had there seemed on the day before launch that he was uh, less than interested in what was going on with us media types, but Gwyn Shotwell was great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say this much. The, the, uh, to, to do a compare and contrast with you, the orbital folks were just right on the stick. They were right there with us. They were um, you know, quite approachable. Uh, they were willing to answer any questions. If they didn't know offhand, they sent emails to people and said, well, you know, as soon as we get an answer, we'll have it. You know, um, you know I'll, I'll let you know. And uh, uh, I recall uh, even with the ATK people, the same thing. Um, you know, if they didn't have an answer, they'd email somebody. And, you know, if we were in the middle of working something, they'd just kind of say, hey, I've got an answer for you on that other, you know, on that question you asked. And uh, – we would be right, you know. That's oh, really? Okay, cool. And, and and we'd be right there. They were, they were just you know really, really on the stick. They were really into it. They were really, really trying to be helpful, and uh, uh, and they were willing to get information out. That is the big deal. That was the key. Uh, they weren't, you know. I don't want to say hiding behind anything. That's the only thing I can think of at the moment. Uh, they were right up there, up front, and on the front line. And willing to talk, and I guess that is going to be the best, um, the you know the best ambassador of them all. Willing to be out there, willing to be on the front line, and willing to talk, and willing to 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 go ahead and and talk to you even when things go bad. And uh, the, the just just as an aside, the amazing thing to me about about the whole affair 
is that that was a brand new launch pad. It had never been used before. That vehicle, um, although it's made up of uh, the Antares, it's made up of heritage equipment and so on, you know, tried and true technology that, was, that has been proven time and time again. Um, it was the first time that that technology flew in that configuration. And it worked flawlessly. So uh, if, if I'm Orbital, if I'm ATK, if I'm Aerojet or any other, other contractors, if I'm Moog or any of the, these other folks, uh, no, they're not any of our sponsors, folks, so you know, don't worry. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really happy tonight. <laughs> I really am. Yeah, so it seemed like you had a great time out there. And while we are talking about the two companies, by the way, we should mention that on today's recording date, which happens to be April 22nd, 2013, uh, they released video SpaceX of their their little rocket that they like to call the uh, Grasshopper. And they released video of its third test where it went to 250 meters, stopped, and then landed back on its pad. And it's to the tune of Ring of Fire. Oh, cute. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, um, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what the business case is for Grasshopper, but if they can make this work uh, and if they can make it profitable, more power to them. Um, uh, I mean, we, we've, we've tried reusability with Shuttle. We found out how expensive it really is. If, um, if SpaceX can lick that problem and make it profitable... Uh, more power to them, and I wish them all the best, seriously. Exactly. I mean, the the idea of being able to reuse parts of a spacecraft was revolutionary at the shuttle, but now the idea of being able to reuse pretty much the entire spacecraft without having to have it fall into the ocean and, in fact, have it return pretty much right to the launch pad, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, if, if they can get this to work... Um, uh, this is a big deal. I mean, it's the same thing with with, with Dragon. They're trying to do a propulsive um, touchdown for that, and uh, uh, we'll just have to, to to look in our crystal balls and see how this all works. But uh, uh, fingers are crossed. If they can get this to work, you know, it, it it could it could change things for for spaceflight in general. Um, my only in, you know, my only problem with the with, with the reusability approach is we kind of sort of saw how expensive it was with shuttle. You still need you know people to check out the vehicle to make sure it's in good shape and um, all this other stuff. So um, I'm wondering if it's going to be the same personnel that are preparing the vehicle that are going to be doing the, the 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 preparation for it for the next flight and so on. Uh, if they can get to return to home base, great. I mean that that that's half the battle right there, uh, because the 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 big expense with shuttle, of course, was the S was the the, the SRBs that had to be, you know, you go ahead, um, clamp onto them, tow them, uh, bring them back to home base, have to go ahead and re- refurbish them, and then get them ready for the next next flight. Uh, um, the problem was is that was a very expensive affair because you had to go ahead and not only you know actually hire the people, you had to maintain the the boats, you had to maintain all the 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 equipment and so on, you had to clean you know maintain the people to go ahead and clean these things out and and all that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it may not be the the best way to to deal with this. You know, reusability may not be the the the, the way to go, uh, but it. Yeah, again, if 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 they can make this profitable, great. Um, that that's that's the big deal because you have to remember too. For much, uh, you know, even with the goodwill that I've been talking about with Orbital, it's a business, and the, uh, above you know above all else, it's now a business, and uh, you know the whole idea is is to turn a profit, and uh, if you can do it, wonderful. Exactly, and on that note, I'm going to end this with a funny story. Uh, this weekend, you might have known as the Northeast Astronomy Forum, or NEF, as it's lovingly called. And um, there were two guest speakers of the keynotes that were of particular mention. Uh, the first evenings was Dr. John Grunsfeld, who helped repair Hubble a couple of times, as well as his new position now as essentially the head of science at NASA. And then on Sunday, which was the launch of Antares, as you might recall, as we talked about, oh, for about 50 minutes of this episode... <laughs> Uh, 
was Dr. Mike Brown, who is also known as the Pluto Killer. And uh, his book, by the way, from what I've heard, is great, and I'm looking forward to reading it. I now have a signed copy, but I digress. So we went to get the book signed, and uh, in talking with him, we mentioned, hey, do you know that the Antares launches today? He's like, yeah, I know. Do you know what time? We said 5 o'clock. He's like, I'm speaking from 4 to 5. We're like, okay, well, we'll have our information on, we'll have our technology on, so we can give you a signal if it's scrubbed or if it's going. And he's like, great, if so, then I'll put the video up. And so he had the video feed ready, and he said, if it's go at 5 o'clock, he'll throw it up on the screen. So he goes through his presentation. Uh, 4.55, I give him the sign that five minutes to launch all is go. So he starts putting this stuff on the screen. I turn to the person behind me, who you may remember, Craftlast is our fifth beetle. And prior to this, we were talking, and we were saying that I saw a tweet that said that it might be visible from Suffer New York, where it's held. And we're like, huh, so it's 10 degrees above the horizon. At that point, we said, do we want to try it? I said, sure. We had told Dr. Brown that we might be doing that. So we get up to leave. He's like, are you guys going to actually go try and see it? He said, yes. He said, you guys are crazy. And as we left, uh, we reminisced the fact that that's not the first time the two of us have been all crazy at Neef, but... <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> Continuing along, turns out... Um, my boss, who was also there, sent to me an email saying that afterwards he also said that we, quote-unquote, won't see it. So we go up, we find a nice hill, and the tree line, I measure it using the old, you know, fist-to-the-horizon technique, 10 degrees. Max height, 10 degrees. Like, okay, it's worth a try. So we're looking, we found a slight little kind of cut out in the trees which was seven degrees up like okay maybe so we're trying to watch we're watching NASA TV and all of a sudden the phone freezes where we're watching it on so I pull out mine I check Twitter and I saw liftoff as of about five seconds ago so we turn our attention to the sky that one little hole in the trees hoping maybe we could see something all of a sudden about 15 20 seconds after we saw confirmed launch see something shiny and then the shiny disappears, and then all of a sudden there's this growing plume, and it arcs over a little bit. The whole, pretty much the entire shiny part of the light that curved over that we saw lasted about two, three seconds, and then the smoke kind of dissipated away after about 30 seconds. But I initially called out, I think I see it over there. And afterwards we all went, did we see that? And I was comparing. Did you see the arc? Did you see a contrail? Like, yeah, but it was straight up, and it was wider and puffier, and we compared it to an airplane trail on the, you know, behind us, and we're like, I think we just saw it. It was a whole whopping three seconds, but, uh, Gene, you and I both saw the Antares, except you had a little bit of a better vantage point than I did, but I still <laughs> saw it. Yeah, we were about, but again, we were about maybe two, about maybe two, two and a half miles away. Um, yeah, we were about 250 miles away. So yeah, I'm not surprised that you guys saw it because we had reports uh, through Twitter. The the uh, folks that run the uh, the t the uh, orbital Twitter account were were kind of with us, and they saw something that uh, somebody just fired at that was visible from Brooklyn. So I'm we my my eyes went what. You know, so um, I, again, this this is this is something really, really special for the entire east coast, for the entire uh, Upper East Coast, at least. And keep in mind that Suffer New York is north and west of that too. Yeah, so that 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 was. I'm, I'm really, really, I'm I'm happy you guys got to see it. I really am. And uh, to, to cap off the story, we went back in. His speech was over. They apparently put it up on the big screen and watched it, and. He finished signing a book, and he looked at us, and we had the huge grins on our faces yeah. from seeing the launch. You know, the adrenaline and everything. Because, I mean, we saw an actual launch. Yeah. And he said, did you guys see it? We're like, yeah. He's like, I don't believe you. We did. <laughs> I don't believe you. We did. I don't believe you. Well, I believe Pluto's a planet, I then replied to him. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is the man who killed Pluto, and a couple hours earlier, we were having a discussion about why I believe Pluto is not a planet as well. Okay. So he knows I was joking, but I had to. <laughs>
A new chapter in commercial space has been opened as a new partner has officially entered the field. And this rocket has been dubbed by one of our listeners, who is credited with that as well as the show title, you'll notice, calling it Awesome Antares. And that credit goes to Melissa Grant, who is a serendipity spa on Twitter. So thank you for mentioning that to Mark and allowing me now to steal that as the show title. And on that note, we have a lot of stories that we didn't get to cover. We had some Russian animals launch. We had some videos from Chris Hadfield. We had a great article that Mark had planned for us, but we're going to have to save those for next week as this one was devoted pretty much to commercial spaceflight. And I'd like to thank everyone who joined us here for this episode. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Thank you, Sawyer. And uh, it was an honor and a privilege to uh, rub shoulders with the folks over at, uh, uh, I almost said, I almost said KSC <laughs> over at Wallops. Uh, again, Wallops, the, the Wallops crew was, was a class act. Uh, Orbital, uh, anybody that was associated with Antares, also a class act. So congratulations to the Antares team. And also congratulations to SpaceX on the on the grasshopper uh, test today. Good job. Yes, indeed. Congratulations to both. And thank you as well for joining us, even though you were a little bit quieter today, Mark Ratterman. I'll make up for it next week and remind me to make a comment about commercial spaceflight. You may not be happy with, with what I have to say. Ooh. Looking forward to that. What can I say? If that's not a teaser to tune in next week, I don't know what is. But we thank you for joining us tonight for this episode. We hope you'll be back for the next episode. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. Mm-hmm.